0: This is the Hospitality Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale.
1: Hospitality is a
0: people industry. You don't want to take away that
2: human element. You hire the kind of employee that's going to act like an owner, that's going to have that
0: initiative, Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. Hope everyone had a fantastic week, and I'm excited to dive into another varied hospitality podcast show episode. So, where do we find some common ground on our two features today? Nowhere, honestly. They're very thematically different, and that makes it a little thematically difficult to visualize, but it's a good sign to me that there are so many diverse issues, growths, and changes in the industry, so I'm always a fan when our content is different. We'll be breaking down two international level issues in hospitality today. The first, the decline in Chinese tourism, and the second, how to prepare for food recalls as a restaurant owner. We'll be hearing from a Harvard professor and one of our very own market-scale industry contributors. So let's start with that decline in Chinese tourism. I'm not talking tourists traveling to China. The opposite, actually. I'm talking Chinese tourists themselves, tourists from China. They aren't doing cross-continental trips as often. And the question is, why? Expensive flights and visas, coupled with more attractive trips to surrounding countries like Japan and Taiwan, probably has something to do with it. But all of this is culminating with the Chinese New Year, one of China's biggest events for international travel. The US, Europe, and Australia can expect to see less tourists this year. Market scale host Shelby Skirhawk sat down with Harvard professor of international economics Richard Cooper to get more insight.
2: According to Chinese zodiac legend, the jade emperor called the earthly animals for a great meeting. He said the fastest animals to reach the heavenly gate would be chosen. The ox, the rat, and the tiger were the first to arrive quickly at the emperor's service. The others filtered in after stopping to help others or perform other duties. But the pig was the last to sluggishly arrive, having stopped for a nap. 2019 is the year of the pig, and it's one of 12 Chinese zodiac animals celebrated at the Lunar New Year. Colloquially, around the U.S., we call it Chinese New Year because it falls at a different time than our Western New Year. That's because the Chinese calendar is lunar. Unlike the Gregorian calendar, months are determined by the phases of the moon, making each Chinese month about 29 days long. During this week-long holiday celebration, millions in China and worldwide celebrate by traveling, traditionally from cities to their hometowns to reunite with family. This year, the travel rush, also known as Chunyang, takes place the first week of February and is one of China's longest breaks. More than 400 million people are expected to travel across the country for family reunions, according to China's largest travel agency, Ctrip. It estimates $7 will go abroad. But could the sluggish Zodiac pig come to represent 2019's travel and tourism economy? Signs point to yes. Though outbound travel from China is still increasing overall, average spending by those tourists is down. That's significant for a country that has a strong appetite for travel and whose tourists are known to spend well when abroad. In 2018, the Chinese economy grew at its slowest rate in nearly 30 years. The National Bureau of Statistics in China reports 6.6 percent growth in 2018.
3: To me, it's no surprise at all. So I've actually written a paper on it why Chinese growth will slow down even more in the coming decade.
2: That's Richard Cooper, professor of international economics at Harvard University and a scholar at the Fairbanks Center for Chinese Studies.
3: For non-policy reasons, fundamental reasons, the rate of growth will drop. It has dropped, and it will drop further.
2: Economists expect a further decline this year, in part because of weakening consumer spending. A report by management consultant firm Oliver Wyman evaluated outbound tourism or overseas tourism by Chinese tourists. The consultancy says that average spending on an overseas shopping trip in 2018 was 758 U.S. dollars down from 883 U.S. dollars in 2017. That's a 14.2% drop in average spending per trip. Indeed, there's a correlation between overseas spending and the Lunar New Year celebration, as many Chinese go abroad to celebrate. Top destinations include Hong Kong, Macau, Thailand, Japan, Vietnam, South Korea, and Singapore. All this economic talk means that consumer spending among Chinese tourists in other countries is down. But a lot of that consumer spending and shopping happens during the New Year celebration. I asked Professor Cooper, how does this economic slowdown affect how people in China celebrate the New Year?
3: So they have a week-long holiday. And so they travel to visit old friends if they've moved or uh, relatives. And so it's a big, big travel day.
2: Big is an understatement. During this year's spring festival travel season, a total of 2.99 billion trips are expected to take place. That's 3 billion trips projected in a time period of 40 days. This is up a little over half percent from last year, but there are a few factors that are bucking the upward trend. As travel becomes increasingly difficult, many Chinese opt to stay home or stay closer to home.
3: Thinking about it, there are several possible reasons. One, which I experienced myself, the railroad stations are just jammed, uh, just uh, absolutely packed. It's uh, Historically, it's the largest migration in history, <laughs> once a year.
2: A new travel trend is emerging for the Chinese New Year, reverse travel. Instead of traveling back to their hometown, young workers in China are inviting their parents to the city, where they live and work. The New China News Agency, an official state-run press agency, quotes China railway figures showing that reverse travel on the busiest train routes rose 9% over the previous year. While the cost of traveling to a big city is often less than traveling to a remote village, Professor Cooper says that some people are cutting out that travel expense altogether.
3: As Chinese have become more settled in the cities. They've actually invited their children and their parents to come live live with them. And so that would mean no need to travel back to the village to visit your immediate family.
2: Inviting parents to live with their adult children is becoming a new standard across the globe. Multigenerational households have increased rapidly here in the United States, for example. A record 64 million Americans live in multigenerational households, according to Pew Research. But inviting their young children to come live in the city is something a little different for parents and children living in China. They're called left behind or leftover children.
3: It, it was true for roughly, we don't know for sure, but roughly 200 million migrant workers. It was the young adults, typically the father, but sometimes also the mother, who came into the city to work because the wages are higher and they left their child. Typically one, now two are allowed, but typically one child in the village with their parents, so the grandparents of the child. And it may be that, as I say, the families are reunited. I mean, it's got to be the case that they are. The question is numbers. How rapidly are they reuniting?
2: Okay, so back to our Zodiac animals. A slowing economy may have looked like the sluggish pig showing up late to the kingdom, but maybe this metaphor is better suited for the rat, who's cautious with money. Cooper says international economic uncertainty is making Chinese consumers hold their wallets a little tighter.
3: There's an uncertain future, perhaps uh, signaled by the slowdown in growth rate, but uh, even more. We talk about the high Chinese savings rate, and that's true. Uh, What we don't talk about is their very rapid growth of Chinese consumption, uh, which is also true. If incomes are rising rapidly, you can have both a rapid growth of consumption. I'm talking now about not the last few years, but the last uh, 20 or 30 years. Rapid growth of consumption and a higher savings rate, Uh, those are not incompatible. Uh, Most people, economists anyway, emphasize the high savings rate But I uh, observe the very high growth of consumption.
2: Of course, there is a somewhat political aspect to this, too. And it's the U.S.-China trade war.
3: The U.S. has imposed tariffs on Chinese goods and uh, threatens to impose even more tariffs starting March 1. And so there's a lot of uncertainty in the economy compared with, say, last year or two years ago. And uh, people may, for precautionary reasons, want to spend less than they normally would. And uh, it may be that the margin, with the uncertainty looking ahead in the next year, further slow down and aggravated by Trump's tariff war. People are uncomfortable about spending, about increasing their spending as much as they have been doing.
2: For the the numbers that show that consumer spending softening, uh, what part does the emerging middle class have in that?
3: Well, the new middle class, as the name uh, or the uh, label suggests, have much higher incomes than they or their predecessors did 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And the middle class uh, is growing in terms of incomes. And then it gets back to the question Uh, with the growth of incomes, how much do they spend uh, and how much do they save. And as I say, when incomes are growing as rapidly as Chinese incomes have been doing, you can both save more and spend more. So uh, people talk about the frugality of Chinese, and there's some uh, uh, truth to that, uh, but it is not true that they have not been spending (laughs) more as their incomes have risen. They've spent, they now spend a lot more because their income's are a lot higher. Total urbanization has been growing and with new places to live, the families may be uh, reuniting.
2: All this talk of saving and spending by the emerging Chinese middle class and urbanization that's driving families into multi-generational households, there's a lot of complex factors to consider in the Chinese economy ones that you need a harvard professor to explain so i'll leave you with a popular chinese new year saying happiness prosperity and longevity i wish you luck in the year of the pig for market scale hospitality i'm shelby skerhawk
0: thanks again to shelby and richard for this piece I'm especially a fan because I think international tourism trends always have such intricacies when compared to ones in the states, and it helps to have a bona fide expert to walk us through it too, so thanks again to Richard. Our second feature dissects an article on our market scale hospitality page, one that looks at the effects of food recalls on restaurants. After a year where romaine lettuce took some big hits, how should companies be preparing for the possibility of a food recall, especially if their menu is full of raw dishes or traditionally susceptible ingredients? Let's ask the writer of the article, Robin Voles. All right, so we're joined on this segment by Robin Voles. She's a hospitality contributor here at MarketScale. And Robin wrote a great article called Send It Back, The Impact of a Food Recall on a Restaurant. And this article really caught my eye because I think we're in a particularly food-conscious time in our society. People are very interested in... Getting all the info on what they're eating, you know, how many calories, what are the ingredients? Is this organic? Is it locally sourced? Um, It's just part of just a a general social push. Now, this is a little different. Obviously, this is more focused on if the food is literally bad. If you need to recall it, then you should. Um, But I think with a more conscious consumer. I think the producers of the food have more pressure to recall food if there's even the chance that something might go wrong. So, with this article, Robin digs in a little deeper into why food safety is so important, how restaurants can protect diners from foodborne illnesses, and how it affects the restaurant themselves when a, a food item is pulled from the shelves. Robin, how are you doing today? Great to have you on the podcast. Pretty good. Thank you, Daniel. How are you? I'm great. So, when dissecting this article, why did you find this subject to be so important? Um, you know, why, especially now, 2019, is it just even more important to be chatting about food safety and being conscious of the impact that a food recall can have on a restaurant?
1: Well, um, first and foremost, uh, it, over 48 million Americans, that's approximately 17% of the people in the U.S., Get sick from food foodborne diseases each year. One hundred twenty eight thousand of those are uh, one hundred twenty eight thousand more are hospitalized, and three thousand die each year. Um, there was nineteen or one thousand nine hundred thirty five recalls in two thousand eighteen alone. Wow! And uh, you know, this contributes significantly to the cost of he- healthcare. And it's it's definitely an unreported burden on public health. It risks lives specifically for children under age of 14 and over the age of 80. And um, with food hazards, including germs and chemical contaminants, uh, they can enter the food supply at any point from farm to table. So Mm -hmm. um, safer food guarantees longer, healthier uh, lives for the, you know, for the public, but less costly health care for our nation and a more robust food industry as a whole.
0: Right, exactly. And I mean, I think part of the issue is that, like you said, those illnesses can make their way to the food at several steps throughout the process. So it can be really hard to predict as a restaurant owner, you you can't just know okay this is coming from this supplier it might be contaminated it's it could happen at any point along the journey so you just have to be prepared for the worst which is not fun but i guess is a necessary part of running a restaurant
1: exactly exactly again it could happen anywhere from you know being grown through the transportation till it reaches the restaurants but then once it hits the restaurants even if it's safe, there are other um, factors that affect the the ability of restaurants to prevent foodborne illnesses. And I mean, this can include like high uh, turnover rates in their employee uh, population, um, non uniform training or certification systems for the employees, whether there's production practice changes that don't take into uh, you know account food safety regulations and then also cultural differences you know amongst employees of, about how you know certain cultures cook foods a certain way right and and then also you know many restaurants don't have sick leave policies that are designed for wait staff you know they want their staff there you know as often as possible there's not often a re- you know a replacement if somebody's going so sick people can transfer their germs into the food that they're preparing or serving Or, you know, however, so there's multiple factors that hinder restaurants ability to prevent uh, food hazards, but there are also different things they can do as a restaurant to improve food safety, you know, and that includes uh, enhanced server and cook staff hygiene, um, you know, getting regular inspections by outside food, uh, food safety experts, Um, you know, they may be a little bit costly, but it's, worth the bad will, the illnesses, it, it, any kind of litigation should something be traced back to your restaurant. So, um, another thing, you know, if if a food safety recall does occur, these restaurants need to have a plan in place, you know, that ensures that effective products and uh, menu items that contain those contents are promptly removed from the sh- their shelves and returned and destroyed, you know, uh, per the vendor's specifications. This plan needs to be clearly communicated to key employees um, and how they all need to know how new contents will be replaced on the shelf to replace the
0: spoiled contents. And I think part of what might stress out the restaurant owner, though I think it is a positive, it adds some challenges to just your logistical owning process. There is better technology out there that is catching more potential um, foodborne illnesses. So as our technology improves and as we're able to Survey more food, um, I think we 're just going to naturally find more potentially harmful bacteria because the sample size is larger and because our tech is more refined and so to a degree, that means restaurant owners though they can probably more safely guarantee that they 're not using contaminated food, they could have whole supplies often during large periods of time and during critical periods of time I um, mean imagine a large turkey recall during the Thanksgiving months right I mean that that would be pretty disastrous for a grocer or a um, or a restaurant you know th- though they can guarantee probably safer food that is a big strain on restaurant owners what did you see uh, while writing this article on the back end there how are restaurant owners responding to or being affected by the steadier stream of recalls?
1: The main thing that they need to do is have a plan in place for when these recalls do happen. Right. Um, they do need to have better server training and, you know, things like that. That's what they can do on the back end to be prompt and swift to get this out of their restaurant and and or avoid, you know, them being the contaminators themselves. So um, uh, it's it's kind of, wild how much um, in the last six years food recalls have been on the rise. Um, Let's say in the last six years, um, meat and poultry have gone up 83% in recalls and uh, produce and processed food went up about uh, 2% from 2013 to 2018. So with all of these numerous recalls um, in the let's say in the last uh few 2 years or a year and a half romaine lettuce has had three uh different recalls one related to e coli right uh well i guess to, all of them were related related to coli, re, e coli but some came from yuma arizona um it's just you know one came from california it's it's the best thing about what's going on right now is that we have better resources, like you said, and technology that can tra- trace back the source of the foodborne germ. So I guess since I, I told you earlier in the conversation, we had one thousand nine hundred and thirty five recalls in 2018. Well, that's actually right. down from 2017, which was three thousand six hundred nine recalls. So it's almost in half And again, these better technologies, you know, are allowing us to trace it back faster, find the source and get it at the source before it contaminates other products, other contents, you know, menus at a restaurant.
0: So, I mean, it feels like tail end of 2018 and 2019, we're already seeing so many recalls. Other than the technology that is catching these potentially harmful bacteria, are you seeing anything else within the industry that is... Causing more recalls or at least finding more um, potential harmful pathogens?
1: Well, um, according to uh, the FDA uh, Commissioner Scott Gottlieb, you know, it's not that there's more unsafe food. This is a statement specifically from him. It's that we have better mm-hmm. technology than ever before to link outbreaks of human illness to a common pathogen. Gotcha. So even they believe that food is more safe than it's ever been. We just have more resources and tools to be able to do effective surveillance.
0: Right. And plus, he also referenced the Food Safety Modernization Act that went into law in 2011, uh, yes. which uh, that's obviously now almost a decade ago, which is crazy to think about. But you know, that motivated the nation's food safety system to just be be more aware of foodborne illnesses and better plan for how to react. So I think it's been a, a long time coming. That plus the technology we're seeing Um, We're seeing restaurant owners just having to be more prepared for the potential of their food or their food supply being recalled. And I mean, like you said, imagine imagine you're a vegan restaurant and a, a huge part of your menu is lettuce-only products. Well, after romaine was pulled like three times and all related to E. coli, that could be pretty disastrous for your business um, if it's a staple part of your menu. So I think restaurants need to look at their menu and need to decide, okay, these items are probably more at risk for being contaminated, either because of the way that they're produced, the way they're transported, or how they're handled. If these items get pulled from our supply and we don't have them on the menu, we need to be able to adjust our menu to still satisfy the customer. Because at the end of the day, the customer might not really understand. They're just going to say, well, I want this item or, well, why don't you have any other food? So, you know, the customer is always right. And that puts a lot of pressure on the restaurant owner. But like you said, it's definitely the time to prepare and to think ahead.
1: It definitely and and it's hitting all areas of the industry um these recalls i mean like we talked about we have romaine lettuce was three uh, recalls there was two recalls on more than 200 million white eggs uh uh last year there was also 12 million pounds of raw beef that were possibly salmonella contaminated um another uh, contaminated by hard plastic and then another contaminated, contaminated with E. coli. So, I mean, it's hitting uh, food, uh, meat, dairy, produce. Um, it's hitting individual restaurants. It's hitting uh, flour companies, you know? So it's, it's definitely a widespread problem, but again, I think we're finding more of it now because of the technology so that it is making people safer on the whole, you know, and makes it easier for restaurants to be more aware, you know, at the that okay we it's immediately found pulled out as fast as we can that way there's nothing that's going to happen in our restaurant that contributes to any kind of you know illness outbreak
0: well robin thank you so much for helping us break down this article and giving us some more insight into the effect of food recalls on the restaurant um like we've said i think it's a Difficult time for restaurateurs to have this issue, but at the same time, it's not really an issue. It's a positive because, okay, we're not serving contaminated food to our customers, but if the number of food recalls continues to increase or at least stays where it's at, I think restaurant owners can... At least expect a few a year so they should be prepared for that and i think your, your article helps break that down so if you'd like to read more on this article and gain just a little more insight on the subject you should head to marketscale.com slash industries slash hospitality you should see the article there it's called send it back the impact of a food recall on a restaurant thanks again to our writer robin voles for the article and the insight
1: well thanks for having me again daniel
0: And per usual, that does it for today's episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast Show. Hope you enjoyed those looks at two international trends, both kind of strange, right? And not the most exciting. Um, food recalls are never fun for the restaurant owner. And I bet the United States and other big countries are definitely not looking forward to China slowing down their rate of tourism. We'll definitely keep following both of these stories because I feel like they're not over. There's more to unpack and you can find that here on the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast show. So thank you everyone for listening and if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com/industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.